0: This episode features conversation about disordered eating, body shame, and bullying. Please listen with care. Resources can be found in the show notes. Be well, friends.
1: Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips.
0: For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith. And for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm
2: Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum. And as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been and will always be an exploratory dialogue.
0: That alone is proof that faith-raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time.
1: So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Happy summer, my friends. Welcome.
2: Uh, wow. Good to talk to you. Summer. Your voices are like music. Oh. It's beautiful. Thank
0: you. We're making music together.
1: <laughs> thank you. I, I, I'm speechless. What are you guys drinking tonight? What do you got? I am kicking back
0: with just an absolute unit of a can of beer. A Crowler, 32-ounce can of the Subtropic IPA sent to us
1: by our friend Tyler. That is comically huge.
0: Yeah, it's a liter of beer I'm going
1: to consume today. So strap in. You look like a tiny human (laughs) (laughs) compared to that can that looks like a normal can.
2: Valid. Fair. I am drinking from Hidden Legend Winery, the King's Mead. It's one of my favorites. Um, Participating in the Renaissance Fair, of course, you have to get mead. Um, And so that's what I am partaking in tonight.
1: Wait. Hidden Legend is so good.
2: Yeah, it is. Sorry, is it from Montana? It is.
0: Can we talk about the Ren Fair? You do Ren Fair?
2: Oh my God! Yes, How yes. Do I know
0: this about my friend Emily. Tell me all about oh, it, please.
2: Did you not see the pictures? I will share the pictures. So, the Renaissance Festival normally takes place in Billings, but two years ago they had issues with scheduling and the venue. In regards to COVID and all that. So the board of the Renaissance Festival in Montana moved it to the rodeo grounds in Red Lodge. So for the past two oh. years, it's been at Red Lodge. And this year, holy smokes, it was huge. There was like a hundred and fourteen vendors. Whoa. They had jousting and like sword fighting and horse performances. They had magic shows and musicians. New vendors. It was really cool. But my sister, this is like her Christmas. This is everything that she loves and more. She convinced all of us in our family. So, my dad, my mom, her husband, Alex, and I, Thea and Nora, to participate. So, we had a booth this year and we were one of the largest vendors this year. It was so good, folks. We killed it. Wow. We sold everything from jewelry. To candles, to Lord of the Rings cloaks, table runners, fairy gardens, shields and swords, uh, you name it. And we have it. And it was fabulous. So, Stephen, you have to see my pictures because they're fantastic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'll wait for the photos because otherwise we're going to spend 10 minutes you just describing for me your cosplay.
1: Well, (laughs) I don't think we have time for that. Simply just imagine Middle England. In the Middle Ages. Yes. That's Renfair. That's all. Well, yeah. Mead, beer, women, men, everyone. Everyone's Uh, there. You guys,
0: Mm -hmm. I'm going to Scotland in autumn and I'm just like vibrating with excitement. uh, You should be. I'm so, uh, we're going to spend 17 days there on vacation. And
2: wow. That's going to change my
0: life. Yeah. It's the longest vacation I've ever booked. Wow. I'm so stoked.
2: Good for you. Yeah.
1: Well, speaking of vibrating, uh, I am drinking a little cocktail myself. I mixed together some sparkling limeade, some mezcal, some lemon juice, and this syrup from Monin. It's this like strawberry rose syrup that I picked up, and it is just like chef's kiss. Like Yum. delicious, summery drink. And for the first time ever, I am double fisting. <gasps> with food i am also oh.
2: eating on the pod today um
1: i was going to eat some ice cream but i am out of ice cream so i grabbed a little yogurt out of the fridge because it is a warm summer eating night on a
0: podcast the editor's worst nightmare <laughs> but
1: it's soft food steven you can't complain about that like listen to this
0: <laughs> that makes the worst noises is soft
1: food. did you hear me t- did you hear me eat the yogurt no
0: I have highly sensitive ears, my friend. Don't challenge me.
1: (laughs) Bet. Um, Part of the reason that I'm eating this yogurt is because we have a patron-derived question. And I I do hope this is not going to be in poor taste. I don't think it will be. We'll see. But also, speaking of patrons, uh, we just had our drink spot this week by our new friend, well, my old friend, Pete. So thanks for signing up, Pete. Pete's known me for a long time, since I was a wee little lad, grown up in church, and he has been a dedicated listener, and now a beloved patron. So, thank you, Pete. You have been very encouraging as we have been doing this project. So, thank you so much. Now, a question from our other patron, Courtney.
3: Hi, it's Courtney again. So, I have always just kind of wondered, and I don't know if there's any statistics to back this up, but from my experience it seems like there is a prevalence of eating disorders and insecurities and just kind of general hatred of the body in christian circles not that that's not kind of cultural wise, but it seems to be more so in my friends who grew up christian or are still christian um and i'm wondering if there is a tie or if anyone has ever considered this a possibility that the way that evangelicals are taught to hate the body, um if that kind of feeds that need for perfection of needing to attain to be better to be more, if that kind of leads to more insecurity, more disordered behaviors towards food or working out, things like that um and how do we feel about that? How do we feel about embodiment and separating the what we've learned about hatred of the body from the actual reality of living in a body and how do we come to a place where we learn to love our body and experience it to the fullest and see it as good in the way that Genesis says bodies and humanity are good rather than the evangelical everything is terrible um, and we all need to be saved from ourselves kind of mindset.
1: Well, that's a word if I've ever heard one in the form of a question.
3: (sighs) I think that that's like so
1: on the money. Like as soon as she started talking about hatred of the body, I feel like that is a great distillation because as I was, Courtney, I'm I'm sorry if this was the bad choice, but I was eating while I was listening to your question and I felt like I was (laughs) like... I felt like I was chewing on your question more because I was chewing, Mm. if that makes any sense. Like, it was, like, much more of a, like, I felt like I was, like, physically meditating in a way on it. I'm sorry if that's too cheesy, but that's how I felt. And it, it just made me think of, you didn't quite say this, but, like, it just made me think of, it's not about the food. Like, the disorder of this type is not just about the food. That's just the way that it becomes symptomatized. Like, the food and this disorder around food is the symptom and like any psychologist would agree with that like that is a very accurate statement to my knowledge of our understanding of eating disorders and i think like on a theological level i think that totally tracks that there is this thread for some reason of hatred of the body and i myself have never had an eating disorder that i know of but i think that anecdotally it absolutely contributes to people having that disordered perception of mm. themselves
2: definitely Hmm. I didn't grow up in an evangelical setting and so I'm kind of intrigued to hear what you and Steven think, Josh, about her question, because I I feel like I'm gonna have a totally different opinion or answer. And so hmm. I wanna be enlightened.
1: Well, what's your initial response maybe?
2: Food is sacred, your body is sacred, and what that means is treating your body and yourself with respect. And if you do struggle or suffer with an eating disorder, that does not diminish your worth. You're not less of a person or less worthy because of an eating disorder or if you have body image issues. And I think a lot of times, especially around Lent, or um, seasons where fasting is very common or popular. Uh, We see eating disorders spiking in religious communities during those times because of fasting and lack of nutrition and malnourishment. Um, And Mm. I really appreciate when pastors or spiritual leaders are advocating and saying, hey, you don't need to fast. Like, if you struggle with an eating disorder, there are other ways that you can ground yourself in the sacred time and not fast. We can find healthy and safe ways for you to still participate and not force you to participate in something that is going to cause you harm or something that you feel is harming to you. Let's find something that is life-giving for you.
0: I don't know how much speaking to evangelical culture overall I can do. This episode is likely going to be extreme, like a lot of personal anecdotes, because only in the last few years have I been kind of working on my own relationship to food and my relationship to my body. I... Man, I'm holding this can of beer, and I said absolute units. Speaking of absolute units, I I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I was born an ounce shy of 11 pounds. Wow. Which is big. Big for a baby. But the kicker is is that I was exactly one month premature. Hmm. That's crazy. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, my poor, poor mother. So, like, from the beginning i've had a story in my mind or like a story has just like settled itself into convincing me it's been true is that like my body is kind of freakish because i came out that big and that early and like that was never like put on me by my parents of like well you weirdo or whatever like the story was told just because i mean quite honestly it is kind of a fun anecdote and to see people's faces like oh my god (laughs) like wow big baby but that has kind of like i don't know yeah the the story i began telling myself from an early age is that my body is weird or like different than other folks and like through childhood and uh, pretty much my entire life like i have been overweight according to bmi or whatever but we know that's a just an absolute terrible measurement of health But I have always been overweight, like, for me, a point of, um, like, I was literally bullied through middle school and high school because I had a chest that classically looked like a woman's chest sometimes, um, man boobs, as some people call them, and, like, I had friends in youth group who would, like, constantly tease me about it and, like, scoop me, or we'd, you know, do this stupid, like, middle school boy, like, purple nurple, all that kind of stuff, and for some reason it would always felt funnier when Steven was the target of all of that. And that became just, I don't know. It's, it was a very like, as the fat, funny friend, it was a lot easier to just like lean on humor or just like be like, Haha, you guys stop, you know, and like kind of roll with it. Cause I didn't know how to like speak up for myself and be like, Hey, that actually like hurts my feelings a lot. And to, truly it was like, two or three years ago that I was like, Oh yeah, I was bullied. Like I didn't even have a word for that until I was like 25 and all that teasing were like really stopped around 17 or 18. But, uh, Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is very tricky. I feel like mine isn't really a commentary on like the theology that brings us there. Mine is like maybe more or less a commentary on like the culture Mm -hmm. that put me through that, you know? of like, listen, a youth group was the best place in the world for me for like six years. And at the same time
1: I was bullied.
0: Right. So like that, there's a lot of complicated feelings around that for me.
1: I was in New York recently and I saw this art exhibit that had a lot of different like pieces from monasteries, like literal pieces of monasteries, like columns sometimes or frescoes and there were several like sculptures and depictions of the Christ. And I don't remember exactly which one it was, but I, I remember looking at one and thinking that this depiction of Jesus on the cross looked so gaunt, like his stomach, like his, his ribs were higher than his stomach. And I, i never like had this thought before, but like, that is such a classic depiction of Jesus on the cross like i honestly think that might be more prevalent than a white jesus like in paintings or something mm-hmm. um just like over the course of christian history i think that you're like way more likely to find thin jesus and i had never really like thought about it consciously until that moment um so it's really interesting to me that this is the first episode that we're recording right after i had thought about that i don't know it makes me wonder like how much like depictions like that have contributed to people having disordered thinking about their own bodies, let alone some of the like, like self flagellating Christianity that we've seen in history, Mm -hmm. like whether that's literal or spiritual flagellation. And on top of that, all of the complications of fasting. Yeah. I do think Courtney's on the money that like at the center of theology's influence on an issue like this, I think is hatred of the body. I think that that is what feels more insidious to me than like like some of the examples that I just brought up. I think that those can certainly contribute to someone's thinking or um, symptoms, but I think that the the hatred of the body aspect, I think that's so on the money. Like to me, that feels like causal in some instances, and it hasn't been for me personally, I should say. But like Stephen, I guess I'm also trying to think of like instances where I grew up where I might have seen perceptions or interpretations of. Christian theology that could have lent themselves to like this kind of disorder in someone. And I honestly can't think of a specific one. And that could just be because I'm male and I've never struggled. I myself have never struggled with an eating disorder. Yeah. I mean, but I did, I have, I do feel like I've heard different people like emphasize like the hatred of the self and whether or not that's body specific. Doesn't
0: the author of Timothy say at one point, like, He beats his body into submission or something.
1: Oh, I don't know. That doesn't ring a bell. Maybe
0: I remember reading that at one point in like a uh, like a Christian fitness book or something. It was basically it was I remember it was like a verse used to be like this is why you train your body right like oh
2: for no it's um First Corinthians.
0: Oh, do you have the verse in front of you?
2: I do. Yeah. This is uh, First Corinthians chapter nine, verse twenty-seven. But I, oh, let me find the NRSV because that's the uh,
0: that's the Ravel approved translation. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but I punish my body and enslave it so that I, after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. It's basically the idea of I fight like that. I'm not like I'm not beating the air, but I beat my body and bring it into submission for fear that any means that after I have preached to others, I myself should be rejected.
0: Yeah, and I think, like, a better reading of that is probably the author trying to do a meditation on hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. But on face value, in some enterprising evangelical wants to make, like, a fitness devotional out of it, he takes that and he's like, and this is why we're shredding kettlebells at 4 a.m. every fucking day. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like... (laughs) Like, we can grab that verse and be like, we beat our body into submission. We're not kind to it. We have to, like, triumph over our body because the body is sin. The body is everything that's messed up about us. And it's our spirit that needs redeemed, right? And that is redeemed And that, like, we don't have this body in the afterlife. We get, like, a renewed, we get a heavenly body. You know what I mean? Yeah. You pull that one thread and there's so many different theologies that come out of that. I, uh, yeah, actually, I do feel like end times or afterlife is a big part of it, if I'm honest. Well,
2: and let's go to the other end of that at the very beginning, you know, Adam and Eve look and after eating the fruit, they see that they're naked and they become ashamed.
0: Right. Right. And we're told that they're ashamed because now, like, sin has opened
1: their eyes, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Do you think that it's... This is just, like, a classic us question. Do you think it's at all possible to have a healthy view of that kind of, like, body discipline? Like, whatever the frick Paul is trying to get at there, where he's, like, trying to say he's disciplined? Or, like, all of the countless verses that are contrasting, like, flesh and spirit, like, as an analogy... I don't know, like, do you think that there is a possible way to view that healthily or is it just a garbage analogy that we should just, like, not even consider anymore?
0: Because
1: mm. I feel like, I don't feel like I was given that emphasis growing up. I feel like I was given more times a theology of you are made in God's image. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are, yeah. like, like I do feel like I was given, like, a very life-giving version of the body, even if it wasn't like centered on your body is good kind of phrasing, you know? So I guess to answer my own question, I don't know if I think there can be a healthy version of this theology of body discipline. Like, why would you need a theology of body discipline? You know what I mean? Like, why does that need to be theological? Why can't Mm. it be health driven or, Mm. I don't know. Like, why would God care if you had abs well... I don't think God cares if you have abs. So why does that need to be theological?
0: Because putting anything in like nurturing and nourishing language is too feminine for the male American church.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Like, Mark Driscoll is a living embodiment of that theology. Like, you need the badass guy, right? Yeah. Monster trucks and guns and fire and all this nonsense. Because if we're going to put it in terms of nourishing and nur- nourishing and nurturing that's too feminine and we can't do that. That makes us uncomfortable.
2: And maybe it's, maybe there can be a healthy theology around body. If we walk away from the idea of having abs means you're healthy and anything outside of that means you're not healthy. There are plenty of healthy people who don't have abs. I I, I don't know what the answer would be, but it's, Trying to walk away from influence of social media and influence of cultures that give praise if you're a size two and under or if you have eight pack abs and whatnot. It's what can your body do? Your body is capable of doing so many things and abs are not a prerequisite for receiving love and grace. And I think especially for women, it is very challenging because there's a lot regarding body image, what a woman's supposed to look like in different stages of life, even, you know, you're supposed to be tiny and small while you're a teenager. And then suddenly you're busty, you know, 20, you know, 36, 24, 36, you're a brick house. And then, oh, but when you're a mother, you need to look a certain way, even when you're pregnant but heaven forbid, you look like you had a baby after having a baby and you better bounce back. Um, <laughs> like I think church perpetuates that. Hmm. Definitely. How and, do you think
1: church perpetuates that in a non-evangelical context? Hmm. Or does it?
2: I, I really don't know if it does.
0: Hmm. I think it's us projecting our own shit on other people and asking them to fix our problems. I Mm -hmm. I think that's the root of like Christian women shouldn't wear yoga pants because men can't keep it in their pants. You know what I mean? Like,
1: Mm. Mm -hmm. uh,
0: yeah, it's like you see it on Twitter all the time. At least I do in my corner of Twitter. It's like, oh, like we're doing the discourse about yoga pants and like athletic wear again, but we're not having a conversation about how our culture has trained us to hypersexualize everything. And we're not having the conversation about how men can learn a little respect and just be like, what? Well, that's a person in public who is living their life and you can move on from that. You know what I mean? Like,
2: mm-hmm.
0: there's so much projecting of like, I struggle with lust. So I have to make it your problem because it's uncomfortable to name it as my problem.
2: Mm. Yeah. Or it's presentation. So, like, Women are supposed to dress a certain way in church or like if they're going to be up front in the church and men just, you know, wear what you want. It's fine. Whatever. You look great. But women, you really need to amp it up because um, you're you need to play the role. And I think having that hypersexualized culture is a part of that, too. It's her dress is too tight, too tight for who? If she doesn't think it's too tight, leave her alone. Yeah. <laughs> or if she thinks it's appropriate length then it's an appropriate length. Why do you care? Why? How does it affect you and how you are able to worship and be in that space?
0: Yeah, it's like, don't objectify her yourself, but, you know, it's okay if the pastor sometimes talks about how smoking hot his wife is and that she's basically his own personal porn star. Mm, That's fine. Right. You know, like he can brag about it, but she can't say anything about herself. It's so I, wild.
2: And I think... Going back to the eating side of it, that not that it's hypersexualized, but in a way, it's almost in the same direction as being hypersexualized where it's like, oh, you're eating like that's a very intimate act. You shouldn't be doing that in front of all of us like Hmm. there's something in regards to eating because I'm sorry, Methodists, it is foundational that we eat after service. We have potlucks, if we have a Sunday here in our church where all we have is coffee and cookies, we're fine as long as there's cookies. like if it was just coffee, we'd be like, "Where's the cornbread? where where's the cookies? Where's the muffins? Give me something. I need starch. I need the carbs. Load me up, right? A couple like food of warm
0: sticks of butter. yeah,
2: yes, like food is so <laughs> important to Methodists. It's kind of crazy. But at the same time, it's like, oh, this is what we're eating. Like, that's what you're eating. Do you see how many cookies they have on their plate? It's like, why are you lay off of them? They're enjoying cookies. Step off. This is a time of fellowship anyways. And I think that's why I was born to be a Methodist, because I love to eat. And as someone who their family, you know, genetically, I have larger individuals in my family and we, you know, have our struggles with diabetes, and I have to really watch, you know, what I do because my dad, for the longest time, looked like the karate kid and was a string bean. And then once he approached like his 30s or so, packing on the weight and struggled with drinking and with eating, and it all caught up. And like that could be me. So I have to be mindful, but there's a healthy balance of. Well, that means I can't eat anything. I have to count my calories. I can't, you know, drink certain things or consume certain things. It's I'm being mindful of. I know what my future could be. So as long as I'm taking care of myself, exercising, not overdoing it on the drinking, not overdoing it on the processed foods and the sugars, that's fine. But I'm going to enjoy a cookie after service. Like Mm -hmm. you will not see me with an empty plate on Sunday morning but I'm not going to also be this prim proper woman who is monitoring every bite she consumes. I'm going to stuff my face and that's fine, but I also eat in moderation and that is also fine. And it's not anyone else's business, how I'm taking care of my body. As long as I'm doing my job, Mm. if I'm not at the pulpit because I'm in the hospital because I had a heart attack, sure. Then be concerned. But until then, what I do with my body is none of your business.
0: We just wanna say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology.
2: If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We wanna be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between.
1: And, if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency.
2: For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you.
0: Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color. What do you think the influence of naming gluttony as one of the seven I was just ask deadly this.
1: sins is? Yeah. Like, do you think gluttony is a sin? Mm. Because like the Bible only mentions overeating and overindulging Mm. Mm -hmm. and it doesn't mention underindulging. Mm. And like there are multiple different types of eating disorders. Like, like, yes, under eating. I mean, it goes by different names in the DSM, but like under eating can be as much of a disorder as overeating or binge eating or like Mm. everything else in between that I'm not going to mention. But if the Bible is going to problematize gluttony, should it also problematize the opposite or should it not problematize anything? Mm-hmm. Well,
0: undereating gets kind of glorified as fasting, though.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Right.
0: Right. Whereas overeating is just like, I mean, yeah, you get gluttony and usually the context is like drunkenness. Right.
1: Oh, I didn't. I didn't think about that, actually.
0: Y- yeah. Sure. Like selling yourself so wholly to. Alcohol or the spirits, you know, that's a tricky one, Uh, because I feel like what gluttony is trying to give us boundaries for is having mm, it's like a misplaced relationship with food. You know what I mean?
2: Yes. Yes.
0: Just like you said at the very beginning, Josh, like it's not about the food, Mm -hmm. just like any addiction is not about the thing. It's about what it's satisfying, you know? Mm hmm. Addiction to drugs, alcohol, pornography, TV—you know, TikTok. These things serve us something in the moment that we've evolved to seek out. You know, it's like obesity has been on the rise for decades in our culture and is now rising in even developing countries because access to like super greasy, super fatty, super salty foods is so much easier um, because they're they tend to be more shelf stable the way we make them, and our brains are still at an evolutionary stage of like, get all the calories you can now because we don't know when the next one comes. We don't know when we find the next fig tree full of ripe figs, right? So eat as many as you can now.
1: I think one thing that I do appreciate, which I do think was life-giving for me growing up, is when people do a theology oriented towards a person that is is very much along the lines of like that thing that you're struggling with is not the main problem. Like that is a symptom and there's like mm. a deeper root cause. Yeah. Granted like the 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 Christian will say that the answer to that is Jesus and that it's very simple and it's you're not going to struggle anymore. But I think that that cognitive framework is really similar to a psychology of disorders that like the the disorder is the symptom and there's something at the root that is causing that and sometimes that can be treated and we know how to treat that. And sometimes it can just be managed. I appreciate when Christian theology does go that route. And I do think it is possible. Okay. Maybe I am moving back around on this. I do think it is possible <laughs> for there to be a Christian theology that healthily views symptoms like this, whether or not they use sin language, but can at the very least acknowledge, like you should notice when you're struggling and that you're not alone and that God loves you. And you are good and mm. there's something deeper at root. And I think that's life giving. Like I think that it's very life giving to acknowledge and help people acknowledge where they are struggling. Personally, I don't want to use the sin language for it. <laughs> like <laughs> like as much as I think it's good to acknowledge a negative symptom, like that is causing disorder. I personally think that disordered language is much more mm-hmm. accurate. Like it, it makes it To me, it it feels like it takes the onus off of the person causing it.
2: Yeah.
0: I think sin language also puts a lot of weight on the person judging it, too.
1: Totally.
0: You know, like, call it a sin. I've been trained to think of sin as something God hates. So if God sees me sin, he hates the sin, but in the same way that I confuse the sin... No, in the same way I confuse the (laughs) symptom for the thing... Maybe God can confuse the sin for the sinner, too, and now I feel like God hates me.
2: Ah, uh, mm-hmm.
0: Right? So to call it sin... Which totally goes back to the hatred of the body thing. In disorder. Yes. Right, mm-hmm. right. Okay, so we're trained to hate our own bodies because at some point we're taught that God hates our bodies, too.
1: Ooh. Mm. I do think that that is implicit in several theologies. I think Explicit in others. Every, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: I, like, yes. as
1: <laughs> as long as, as long as sin
0: is like... There is moral code. There is ethical code. And if you break it, the judge is mad at you. Mm-hmm.
1: But if sin is missing the mark or disease, Yeah, if you're taught that like sin is there's something better for you than that. Yeah. Versus like, you're a worm right. and God hates you. I think that does way more fucking damage than what? Paul's <laughs> verse that's like, I beat my body so it's strong, so that I'm... Right or whatever he's saying, like it's like, like sure, someone could twist that first and be like, this is why you should work out every day. But like, I do, like you can look at that in context and be like, he's not saying that. Like that's not it. I think way more harm, way more harm is done by a theology of God hating humans. Yeah, definitely, totally. And that's why I don't believe in that God anymore. Just like Stephen, the atheist. Thank you. I God. knew you were going to mention it. Yeah. It has to come up every episode now. That's the rule. What's hard? Yes. That's the rule when there's an atheist in the room. They have to identify themselves. Unless... Just like a vegan. Listen. And a CrossFitter. I'm one of those things.
0: I'm not vegan. <laughs> I'm not a CrossFitter. And I don't have to be the obnoxious version either. Amen. <laughs> no, I think... Man, I'm really... Like, when you think God hates you, I think that gives you a sad view of God, because at that point it feels like, like in the same paradigm, you have Satan, the liar and the deceiver and the accuser. If you start believing that God hates you, it starts to feel like Satan actually convinced God that he was right. Mm. And that even gives him more power than God does at that point of like, wow, both good and bad sides of the universe are against me right now because I am
1: Damn, i never thought about it like that. That's kind of funny. Heaped,
0: I'm just heaped in shame. Yeah, well, right? Mm-hmm. And
2: then, so to take that even further, the idea of being fearfully and wonderfully made, so then did God make me intentionally to be this way to hate me?
0: I mean, if you're unelect, <laughs> if you're not reformed and you don't know it, then yeah, he did actually. Which once again is the root of like the Mark Driscoll megachurch thing that's going on it's it's reformed theology at the root of it and they won't say it because when you actually like start saying reformed theology out loud like john piper does you start sounding batshit crazy
1: do you think jesus was trying to do away with fasting when he got accused of eating on the sabbath or no maybe they're accusing john of being like gluttons and drunkards yeah i don't remember which now but like I know I think it's Jesus because the the part that I'm trying to think of is like where Jesus says like while the Son of Man is here, like you should celebrate, basically. Mm. And like if you have a theology of the kingdom of God being here and now and like that gets very abstract and meta theological, should you not fast ever again then? like yeah if if jesus is bringing the kingdom why would you fast if the messiah has come
0: if the kingdom Mm -hmm. of heaven is now then if you have eyes to see it you have streets of gold and you have feasts Mm of plenty, right
1: granted uh just like i'm not going to use sin language for all the disorder stuff i also don't want to call it a sin if people do fast like out of their own self-discipline like for their own spiritual practice like i think you can decide something is going to be good for you and sometimes that can mean restricting your eating. Yeah. I don't think all restricted eating is disordered.
0: Yeah. Well, I think mm-hmm. in the same way, like we can shy away from the word discipline as punishment, but discipline as like, yeah, self-growth, right? Like is a totally mm-hmm. different thing, but it's the same word and that's where it gets tricky. So like, you know, the charitable reading of Corinthians is like, yeah, I discipline my body, meaning like. I do what I do so that I can k- keep doing what I want to do. Right. Like in Paul's situation, he's like, I have to travel miles and miles to visit each church. And otherwise I only have letters to communicate with them. I feel like the modern day version of that is like, yeah, I work out so that I can like play with my kids and give them a childhood with their parent. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I discipline the body. I grow and I build healthy habits, routines or whatever. So that I can live a flourishing life. Right. You know, I'm not like whipping myself in the back with a cat of nine tails.
1: Man, I do wonder if like how different qualitatively the experience is of having an eating disorder if you are a Christian versus non-religious. And I wonder if there's research out there. I don't even know how I would find that. But like, I guess if you did study that, you probably could measure whether or not there is an effect of people with eating disorders and how theology affects that. Hmm. That's crazy to think about. You you could study that.
2: Oh, easily, easily.
1: I feel like the
0: question that gives me is like, who do you, who do you want to surround yourself with to like explore that with you? Because like when I started like a meditative practice, I did a loving kindness meditation once that was all about like, loving kindness toward your own body. And when I clicked on it in the app, I was like, Oh, this will be interesting. Right. And it guides you through like, place your hands on your chest and like, thank your body for getting you this far in your life. And like very quickly, you guys that like broke me out. Like I was weeping for like half an hour because I had never like thanked my body for supporting me this far you know, and like giving me the pleasure I do have when I eat great tacos, you know, my relationship to my body was always something like, I feel like I need to hide. Part of that is obviously I was being bullied. So I felt like I needed to hide under baggier clothes. And like one time in high school, after I got my driver's license, you know, when some like, (laughs) I feel like you hear stories of some high schoolers who are like, when I get my license, I'm going to go like out to parties or whatever. Like The thing that I became fixated on and that I wasted $300 on once were like diet pills at a nutrition shop, um, Mm. that I kept secret from everyone and kept them in my locker and made sure no one saw in my locker when I was taking them because like I was trying to get my metabolism to go faster so I didn't have to be overweight and be the butt of all the jokes anymore, right? Like I wanted to hide. I just didn't, I didn't want to, it, it sucked it was bad. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. But to like change the relationship to the body, kind of unlocking that idea in that meditation that one time. And also just like, like I am seeking, I'm actively seeking a therapist right now. And one of the first things that's on my list to work on with them is like, is my relationship to food. Cause I still feel mm-hmm. a lot of shame when I eat and I, I don't like feeling that whether that be because like, I feel like I'm eating too much, but if I'm being honest, I actually am still hungry, you know, but I am now mm. telling me telling myself all these stories that healthy people don't eat that much. It's like, yeah, but like maybe you do and that's okay. You know? Cause like, I want to, I want to not be always thinking about what I'm going to eat next. And then as soon as I'm actually eating it, I wish I wasn't eating. Mm. But I feel like, I will be honest, I feel like being, okay, I'll bring it up this time. I feel like not being a Christian now has made me a lot more open to seeking therapy about it. Whereas before I would have felt like I was failing a church congregation if I didn't talk to my pastor first. Right. Mm -hmm. And now I feel feel like, I feel like totally open and like, oh yeah, like therapists are trained to work with that trained Mm -hmm. mental health professionals. They have licenses for a reason. Whereas I'm not convinced 10% of pastors would know what to do. No offense Mm -hmm. or no to refer me to a therapist. They would probably just, I don't know. No, I don't want to make the judgment call. I was going to say like, they would probably just like quote a few verses at me and tell me to pray about it,
2: which would be despicable, (laughs)
0: but that happens, right? That's like, that's, that's so many people's stories. I feel like that would probably be a uniquely evangelical thing versus a Methodist thing, Emily. Mm-hmm. Because, like in my experience, the qualification to be a pastor in like a non-denominational evangelical church, there's really no like ordination process. It's like if you have a degree in theology, that's great. If you don't, are you interested in theology? Good, <laughs> you're hired. Yeah. Whereas you had quite the training process.
2: And still continue. Like, just because I'm ordained doesn't mean it all ends. Like, I I have to do continuing education. I'm constantly seeking out classes or seminars or trainings of any kind to keep myself learning and modern, relevant, whatever you want to call it. But I think pastors who just say, nope, what I have is good enough, is good enough leads people astray and what i keep coming back to is the idea of self-worth in regards to body image or just how you see yourself i remember when i was first appointed here in cody they were like oh my god you look like you're 12 like way to boost my confidence folks i (laughs) just graduated seminary wow i have a husband and i've been married for like years at that point point. And, like, to be seen as this juvenile, to be seen as this young, pretty little girl, you know, oh, you're so young and you're so you're so petite, you you little thing, basically. I remember our old music director one day during a meeting was singing the song. Oh, look, there she is tall and tan and lovely. And it was very awkward. Like, first of all, you icky old man. Um, Please don't do that. Um, But also it's like, oof, I'm in my late twenties. Like I'm going to be having a baby and I'm a woman. I'm not this child who's an intern, Mm. you know, seeking validation. Like my age, my body type, my weight should not determine my worth or the value that I bring to this congregation. And that goes for anyone. I hear that all the time. Like, oh, I'm old or, oh, my body's frail or I'm overweight. I have an eating disorder, whatever the case may be. And it's like those things do not determine how people should treat you. You deserve all the love, all the support, all the respect because you are worthy and your weight doesn't determine how much worthiness you obtain. (laughs) Like, Your age doesn't determine how much respect and kindness you give or receive. The fact that churches perpetuate that is sad. So it's like I'm approaching my fourth year serving here and I finally get people saying like, oh, you're like a strong, confident woman. It's no longer, oh, you're such a young girl. It took almost four years for people to move from calling me this young girl to this young woman.
1: You know what that makes me think of, too? And I'm sure this exists in society as well. But I think that the church also privileges young people. Yes! Like, it's very... Especially if they aren't there. Like, and I don't know what the experience is, is, is like being someone in their, like, middle years or aging years. And I don't know what it's like to be that age and then, like, see a church, like, rally for young people and, like, always privilege the young people. Like... That's got to be kind of demoralizing, right? Oh yeah, totally. Like what? Like especially like thinking about it from an audience perspective. Like, like if your audience in your church, because just admit they're an audience. Um, if they are aging, then like meet people where they're at instead of like Mm -hmm. pining for someone who isn't there. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: Uh, A couple things. So I used to attend, and was on staff for a time at Fresh Life Church in Montana. And the 11th out of 12 literal core values of the church was that we are a youth led movement. And like all the graphic design, all the marketing was like photos of as many kids and teens and, you know, young 20s as you can. That's what they would privilege for like putting up on the worship stages is all the young folks. And it's like a. It's a it's a self filtering system at that point. Like, oh yeah, with without saying as much, it basically says like, hey, you guys who are like in your forties and beyond, please fuck off. Like you're ugly, and we don't like you here. Um, yep. Like that's what comes across in like all the videos you put out, all the photos you put out on the website. We want to be let like alone.
1: This the only body types that you young advertise
0: agile. We all wear H and M clothing. You know, (laughs) like
1: we all
0: only use Apple products like we're we're young, we're affluent because we're going to be the people who influence the culture now. Like we're we're in it enough and we're not disconnected. And, you know, we don't have the bodies that have gone through multiple pregnancies. And if you do, we're just not going to, like, take photos of you and use them in our marketing stuff because we we have a brand to uphold is basically
1: what it is. Hey, it's just like Billy Graham once said: "If you have the youth, you have the nation."
2: Mm. Just kidding.
1: That was Hitler. That was not Billy Graham.
2: <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
1: Whoops. Mm. Why does the church have such a hard on for the youth? It's like, yeah. even like for the people who aren't pedophiles, because I know that that is especially real.
0: when, like, especially, why? especially when a literal.
1: I'm getting fired up.
0: Especially when a literal office of the church named in the first century was elder. Uh, yeah. Like it's in the name. That's a nice point. I like <laughs> that point. We are, we are a church that's supposed to be built on wisdom, but rather we're going yeah. build to it, build it on testosterone.
2: <laughs> I am ordained as an elder in the United Methodist Church.
1: Yeah. I do feel like that is a way that Christianity has strayed from like the Judaism traditions. Like, they totally have a culture of eldership still cuz they're not as agile right
0: like christians are like the elders are not as agile they're not as like sleek or fun
1: and they can't play frisbee with the kids or whatever <laughs> i'm not joking like that's yeah some, yeah that's, that's yeah part something of it. like that but also the old people's where the money's at like boomers boomers are spending their money right now like if you really want your church to keep going right target them like target the retirees Kids have no money. Right. Dude. We're, we're poor college kids and we're 29.
0: That's right. That's right. <laughs> One thing I feel like my experience at a church like that helped me unlock was how early on. I, okay, so Emily, you knew me in high school. I did. I, I did. very much made music in my voice the thing that I like stood out mm-hmm. for. Mm. And I'm... In this moment, realizing that I, I did that because I never would fit in with the athletes with the body like that, so I could at least like use my voice in a different way. And like singing through show choirs and musicals, not to brag, but I was Charlie Brown in the musical You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown.
1: I did not know there was a Charlie Brown musical.
0: Hey. And oh my a,
2: God, it was amazing. And it's
0: a great show. And? I was good in it. I'll be honest. I was a great oh, Charlie Brown. Yes, you were. You're a good man. But like, just in this moment, I'm realizing that that's why I privilege my voice so much and why I find pride in my podcasting work, in my singing voice. Honestly, Josh, this is why we were talking on Marco Polo this week about like, because I was pleading with you guys to just join me on the Voxer app instead of using Marco yeah, Polo. Yeah, I called you out. Because <laughs> I'm uncomfortable in front of a camera and what totally. you said... Was like a very life giving nudge of a loving friend saying like, "No, expand your comfort zone." Would you actually? Would
1: you share what you what you told me? Yeah, I basically said like, part of the reason why I like using the Marco Polo app because it's basically like video walkie talkie. If you've never used it, video walkie talkie, it's private, so it feels like you're recording a long Facetime video for someone to watch later. And I think part of the reason why I like it is because. When I started using apps like Marco Polo and TikTok, I started to realize like some of my internal stuff, like being inherently uncomfortable in pictures and like thinking I didn't look good. And um, regardless of how I feel about my body and how I want my body to change in the future, I've really liked using these like video apps as a point of personal growth, like to like, not that I'm like trying to be perfect on camera. Like for me, it's not about that, but it's more like... I'm going to get used to seeing myself whether I like it or not. And that is like I have to like think about not being perceived that I like don't need to worry about that because I'm like in a in a way, huh. I didn't like say all this to Steven, but like in a way it's a form of desensitization. Classical conditioning and psychology we call that extinction. Whether you're using like positive or negative reinforcement, you like extinguish a behavior that you don't want anymore. And for me in this case, that behavior is like a form of self-hatred seeing myself on camera. Hmm. So yeah, not to just get all psychology about it, but that's like, that's like the short of like why I like using them.
0: And that's where I'm at. I'm just several steps behind you and I'm still just only uncomfortable <laughs>
1: on And it And it rewards seeing yourself uh, in terms of fun versus like seeing yourself in terms of, I didn't want a picture taken of me. You're like doing it on your own terms. Hmm. You are doing a, an activity that is fun and rewarding for you, whatever that is. And I think it's good. I think it's healthy. I agree. I love that a lot. It was,
0: it was a, it was a challenge to chew on for a while before I was like, Hey, you know what? Actually, I think he's right. And that I should, I should work on this because I, I am not diagnosed with this. This is part of what my therapy work will be in the next few weeks, kind of beginning around my relationship to food and all that kind of stuff. But like. I have always felt a disconnect between what others see my body as and what I see my body as like, I I'm not joking when I say that when I look in the mirror at my shirtless body, it looks different to me than any photo I've seen of myself. And, uh, yeah, I want to do some work around that because I don't, I don't know if we call that dysphoria or something like that. Like I don't, have a great sense of how I'm showing up physically in the world, but I've noticed quite a bit of like, you know, I see a photo of myself or a video of myself and I, I have a moment of like, it's truly that like a bit of disgust or hatred of like, oh, that's how I show up. That's, and that's when I was feeling confident and then it just like spirals me into
1: a lot of bad stuff to be honest, man. What are we going to talk about once you start going to th- Therapy. I'm just kidding. You're welcome (laughs) to be here anytime. Um, Emily, we are... (laughs) Stephen and I are rambling and I feel like like you should wrap us up here.
2: Like a wonderful burrito. Let's wrap it up. I think this has just initiated the spark of many conversations of the things that we are trying to piece together to rip apart, to make sense of. And it's pretty evident that we have missed each other's company. But what's even more apparent is we have missed being in fellowship and community with all of you fellow Ravel listeners. So buckle up and get ready to see where Ravel this season takes us.